This podcast should not be considered as medical or legal advice. If you are looking for such advice, then do contact a professional. But please find someone that has a brain and can think critically about what's going on in the world today. This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the common collective, as well as why the common collective resists new information. Fabiola. Hey, Leo. What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) We are a bit out of sync today or this evening. We are. I haven't seen you for four days. I know. know. (laughs) I've been traveling all over God's green earth here in the Mm -hmm. U.S., but I uh, rolled in the door about 45 minutes ago and uh, I got up at 4.30 this morning. Wow. Which well, is two thirty Pacific. Two thirty right? Pacific, four thirty Central. Yeah. So uh, running on uh, backup gas at the moment. <laughs> I um, hope you wait. You ate well today. Yes. Well, well uh, kind of half and half, <laughs> half and <laughs> half. Um, but I'm glad to be here. And this is number seventy. Wow. And it is our uh, season seven finale. Is it? Are we going to do a bonus? A bonus? Bonus episode. We skipped a week. Well, I don't know if we're going to do a bonus. <laughs> I know you've got one queued up for us to record. I do. But, but I mean, that may, we just save that to be our launch for could be, season could be, eight, could be. you know? Because I do like getting those in the bag early. That's nice. Yeah, that's nice. But so we um, got a break. We haven't, get, we haven't gotten a lot of breaks. Well, and this actually We're works. working hard. We are working hard, and this this actually works well because next week is Thanksgiving. That's right. We have a guest coming in for the week mm-hmm. uh, this weekend, and uh, uh, that'll you know we usually take what four to five weeks off. So this would actually get us through the end of the year on break, and then we could yeah, start right up really? at the new year through the end of the year. Yeah. Oh wow! See, it's almost like we we I think we timed that our it. listeners will miss us too much. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um. But you know, we, we we have had some pretty active conversations in the uh, Telegram group. Telegram which, group. So join us in the Telegram group. It is don't at the, forget at the Collective Resistance Podcast and smash that like button on Rumble if you're watching us there. Uh, yes, or we have some uh, fantastic video give interviews us, there. Or give us a good rating on whatever podcast application that you're using. Or actually, you can rate us however you want. I don't want to yes. force you, but I, 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 it would be great to get feedback and uh, and follow us, if you will. You know, we, we only publish one episode a week. It's not like you're going to get bombarded with <laughs> with dings <laughs> on your phone. So so please do that. And so today we, we have another guest that's going to be coming on shortly. But Another uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal guest. Very knowledgeable. To round out season seven. So we're very excited about that. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going on in the news recently. I know in the past we have... Um, I would say a lot of propaganda. Well, it's always propaganda. But, you know, in the past we've talked about... Um, Crypto mm-hmm. and crypto it has been a hot topic lately because uh, the FTX uh, exchange uh, basically became insolvent, and uh, uh, that for people that don't know what that is, 
Can you explain? Well, insolvent that? means they didn't have any money. <laughs> so, so it's uh, a fancy way to say they're broke. Yeah, and and uh, this is you know the the media, if you're paying attention at all, is is really trying to make this. Uh, put a big stain on crypto and it hasn't been the greatest year for crypto. There's been a few things. The Celsius network also uh, had a big issue where they locked people's funds, wouldn't let them take it out for a while. And when they finally did, I think they, they were, they had much less available or something like that. And, and essentially what happened with this FTX deal was that, was that uh, the, uh, everybody put their money into this exchange. Except for us. Except for us, which we'll talk about that in a second. But, uh, when you do that, you are taking your, your coins, just like you are taking the dollars that you make from your paycheck. And when you put them in an exchange, it's basically a bank is what it is. It, it, it's a bank with these trading features. Um, but, you know, just like you putting your money in a bank, there is the possibility that the bank uh, uh, is mismanaged and it becomes insolvent. The main difference with the bank, though, is that you've got uh, you've got an insurance behind the bank, you know, savings and loan and whatnot, where you don't have that in crypto. So, but here's the interesting thing about crypto: crypto was invented to remove middlemen like these uh, banking institutions. So the people who are using these uh, exchanges are really not doing crypto the way crypto was invented to be done. And so um, something we've talked about in the past that we've learned from, from individuals is that, you know, the, the, the term, if uh, it's not your keys, it's not your coins. And what that means is, is that uh, when you have a, your own uh, personal private wallet, uh, crypto wallet, you have a set of uh, a seed phrase, which is your security keys. And that is your ownership of your coins. And uh, when you put your coins into a, an exchange, there is no seed phrase. You have your username and password to log in. And then your coins are part of a cumulative pile of coins from everybody else that's put their coins in. And then the actual exchange becomes the custodian of those coins. So if they mismanage, then you may lose all your money. Um, and that happens commonly in crypto, as we've seen over the years. So, so again, the people who are, who are getting impacted by this are people who are not doing crypto the way it was meant to be done, which is true decentralized finance, uh, no middlemen, zero counterparty risk. And uh, there is true decentralized finance applications out there. Uh, we've talked about Hex in the past. That's one. There's a whole ecosystem now around Hex with all these other derivative options based on it. Um, and that all happens that you you do everything yourself with these smart contracts that exist out on the blockchain. There are zero middlemen. The code is immutable. It can't be changed. It, there are no uh, admin rights where the, the, the original developers of the smart contract can go in and change the parameters. So whatever you've agreed to at the beginning is how it will be executed. And that is the exact opposite of what we see on these exchanges. So, so just know that if you are doing crypto right, you have no risk in this whatsoever. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, we're due for a crypto update. Yeah, we'll have to do another update on that. Uh, maybe next season we can get Christian back, maybe. Uh, or Crypty Girl. Or Crypty Girl. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think she's just Crypty now, if I remember oh, right. Um, but the, and then also, uh, we had... Uh, uh, 
President Trump announced that he's running in the 2024. Oh, really? Yeah, he announced that on Monday. I heard that his uh, uh, nominees didn't do so well, didn't fare so well in the midterm elections. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it his, was... His endorsees? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and again, we're not, we aren't stumping for him. I've got some major issues, which I think we'll bring up some of those on the, on yeah. the podcast tonight. Is the tonight. going to run? I don't know. We'll see. And we'll talk about all that. So I think uh, our guest may be here. So let me let me see if I can cue him up. Okay. All right. Well, we are our guest today is Dr. Toby Rogers. Dr. Rogers has a PhD in political economy from the University of Sydney. His doctoral thesis, The Political Economy of Autism, explores the regulatory history of five classes of toxicants that increase autism risk. He also has a master of public policy degree from the University of California, Berkeley. Dr. Rogers writes, speaks, and teaches about the rise in chronic illness in children and does grassroots political organizing with medical freedom groups across the U.S. He also has a popular Substack you can find at tobyrogers.substack.com, where he writes about how to end the pandemic and restore our liberties. Welcome, Dr. Toby Rogers. We are so well, excited to have you. <laughs> uh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, we're, we are uh, really uh, happy that you could join us this evening for our 70th episode. And uh, uh, Fabi, where, what were you thinking you wanted to lead off tonight? Well, I wanted to first talk about your thesis a little bit. I don't know if that's available for people to get their hands into, but as you know, autism is a a hot topic here for us. Uh, we have a child that was injured by a vaccine. And I'm super curious uh, on why you decided to talk about autism in your thesis. And also, what are the five classes of the toxicants that increase the risk? Yeah, okay. I'm happy to talk about that for sure. So I'm a political guy. I have a BA in political science, a master's in public policy, as Leo just said. And I found that I really like teaching. So uh, I decided to get a PhD and I got really lucky. I got a, a scholarship to study in Sydney, Australia at the University of Sydney. And that was in 2014 that I went down there. And it was wonderful. Australia is amazing. All the things they say about it being paradise are pretty much true. The beach is an hour away and Sydney beaches are incredible. There's there's nobody on them except for, you know, <laughs> except Bondi. All the rest of the beaches are empty. It's 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 unbelievable. It's like it's like California in the 1850s or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, so I was I was feeling no pain. I was working hard. And I was enjoying life and I was dating an Australian woman. And um, when we started dating, her son was two. And over the course of our relationship, he was eventually diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum. Now, what's interesting about being in a PhD program is the time is your own. You don't go to classes. Every day is your own independent research. And so... I said to myself, okay, I'm just going to spend one day reading everything I can about autism. And, and I had some questions in my head. And, and, and it seemed like every time I opened the New York Times, the rate of autism was rising. 
in in the U.S. and around the world, and and nobody had explained that. And I knew there were questions about vaccines, but I was a true believer in vaccines at the time. So, to give you an example of of how much I believed in the mainstream paradigm, when I got my master's degree, when my parents asked me what I wanted for graduation as a as a present, I asked for more shots. I asked for more shots so that I what? could try Southeast Asia. Yeah, that was my graduation present, and that's what I got. Oh my gosh. And and the and the you were thinking it was a rite of passage. <laughs> yeah. Well, I see. At the time, I thought, you know, influenced by the propaganda, but I thought it kind of made me superhuman, right? Right. I can go to Southeast Asia. I wouldn't get sick. And so I went to that. I went to the the travelers clinic in Pasadena, and I said, "Hey, Doc, give me everything you got. You know, give me HPV, give me Hep A, Hep B." You know, I had a list of things and he's like, whoa, 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 slow down there, sport. Like you're going to, in this case, I was going to go teach in Cambodia. And, and he said, that's not how you do it. You don't just throw everything at it. What you do is you look up the country, you look at what's endemic in that region. And, um, and that's what they vaccinated against. So in the end, I got two shots and, and, and. The funny thing was, he said, the biggest danger you face in in Southeast Asia is not, you know, the various diseases that you're worried about. It's small dogs. You have to watch out for small dogs biting you and getting you rabies. (laughs) And so he's like, small dogs should be your biggest concern, not these other things. So anyways, I was a true believer. And this was this was 2015 now. And so um the other thing about a phd program is you're required to rely on primary sources so you can't rely on secondary sources you can't rely on somebody's account of a study right you have to go and get the study and read it so i read the cdc's web page on autism the rise in autism the possible causes of autism but I can't just take the CDC's word for it because I have to read primary sources. So I started reading the sources that they link to and the CDC story does not check out. The CDC is sort of like a, a bad undergraduate student who just sort of throws in a footnote, hoping that you're not going to go and check it, hoping that you're not going to go and read it. Mm-hmm. So I would read these underlying studies. The underlying studies didn't explain the the surge in autism that we were seeing in the U.S. around the world, and and the CDC points to three or four different things that might cause autism. One of which is thalidomide, that was never approved in the United States, even though some people took it in the United States. And they point to um, uh, anti-epilepsy drug. Well, that's contraindicated, so pregnant women shouldn't be getting prescribed that, anyways. And and the various sources that the CDC pointed to could not possibly explain the surge in autism that we were seeing. And so I started searching high and low to try to figure out what was going on. So needless to say, one day of research turned into two, turned into three. And the more I researched, the less the CDC story made sense. Mm-hmm. So that was alarming and terrifying and heartbreaking. And I tear up just even thinking about that period because it was just so emotionally 
devastating to realize that the government's been lying to us this whole time, that the CDC has absolutely no idea what they're doing and little concern for the well-being of the American people and contempt for the health of kids, quite, quite frankly. So I kept researching and then an interesting thing happened. A friend, a colleague, uh, a fellow PhD student, um, I only confessed what I was researching to a couple people. And, and she said, hey, one of my housemates has a vaccine injured kid. Do you wanna meet him? I said, absolutely, let's, let's, let's meet up. So we had coffee, a wonderful guy named John Elms. And we, uh, we chatted and, and before the meeting, I knew all the, the stereotypes, right? I knew all the horrible, mean, bigoted cliches conspiracy theorists, tinfoil hat wearing, all the all the names that people get called who question vaccines. So I had that in my head going to meet this guy. Well, this guy is, what I discovered in, in talking with him is he was just like me. We're about the same age, pretty similar background. And, and as he told the story, the only difference is he had gone to a well baby visit with his young son and a perfectly healthy boy regressed pretty severely following a series of shots. And it's all the things that you already know. It's mm -hmm. they lost eye contact and speech and motor coordination and experienced gastrointestinal distress and all the rest. So over the course of talking with him over about an hour and a half, I realized that the story he was telling was from the heart. He wasn't any more a conspiracy theorist than anybody else in my life. And, and instead, we have a problem on our hands as a society. And so I ended up spending six weeks doing nothing but reading about autism. And then I realized that I hadn't worked on my original thesis topic the whole time. And so I went and had a very painful and difficult conversation with my supervisor. And I said, hey, by accident, I stumbled upon the biggest political economy story of our lifetime. It's the rise in autism and the fact that government is doing absolutely nothing to address the situation. And in fact, is lying about the underlying causes. And we negotiated back and forth over the course of several weeks. But in the end, I changed my thesis topic to working on the political economy of autism. Mm -hmm. Spent the next four years reading everything that has been written on autism, from causes to costs and that sort of thing, and produced a 485-page doctoral thesis, passed rigorous external peer review, a professor of public health, an epidemiologist and a political economist all read it to make sure that I met the standards of the profession and, and I got my PhD in 2019. So it was an extraordinary journey and my supervisor was incredibly rigorous. So I built this tank of a document that can survive external attack from, from those who don't want this story getting out. And it's available for free on the University of Sydney's library's website. Wow. And my substack, the, the pinned article at the top, is a short summary of my thesis, and there's a link to it at the bottom. So if people go to tobyrogers.substack.com, they can 
they'll they'll find the link there and and they can go and they can download it for free and it's one of the most downloaded doctoral theses in the world over the last three years it's been downloaded over 70,000 times wow for for two years straight it was the most downloaded thesis in all of Australia I'm pretty sure and it's in the it's in the top 15 all time at the university it's become this this phenomenon around the world as parents who are desperate for answers have found it through word of mouth and downloaded it and shared it with others so that they can make good decisions. And then I get emails from people from around the world who've read it and thank me for doing the hard yards of reading everything on the topic, summarizing it and putting it together in a story that makes sense in contrast to the the story that we get from the CDC. So mm-hmm. anyway, that's the, that's the long story, but, but that's, uh, that's how I got into this work. D- did you have any challenges in that process with the, the 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 uh, leadership that you worked with, you know, to to process that as far as censorship or or pushback, or or did you actually convert a lot of uh, academia that you worked with in the process? Yeah, how did the yeah. supervisor and everybody that scrutinized your thesis yeah. uh, react to it? Yeah, it's interesting. There was a lot of fear. And so we built out a supervisory team that had the founder of our department, my main supervisor, and a sociologist uh, who works on the topic of health to make sure that we had an adequate professional team looking at this and advising me. And the, how should I say? I didn't convert as many people as I would like. The conversion process is sort of fascinating. But to his credit, my supervisor, who disagreed with me on this topic, said, look, there's a right way to tell the story that you want to tell and a wrong way to tell the story that you want to tell. And and if we proceed, I'm going to show you the right way to tell the story that you want to tell. And so... We fought, I mean, we fought every week over the course of four years because we saw it differently. But that made a much better product in the end. As you see when you work through it, every single claim is footnoted. There's over 2,000 references in this this document. When I say I read everything, I mean I read everything. (laughs) And... And in anything that was poorly sourced or poorly thought out or under under theorized, as they say in political economy, my, my, my supervisor would push back and say, no, this isn't good enough. You have to build the argument better. And so it was completely exhausting and it was the right way to do it. And and I ended up with a document that's much stronger better argued, better referenced than anything I ever imagined I'd be able to produce. I I figured if I hit sort of two or three home runs in the course of this document as far as, you know, arguments that nobody could disagree with, then that would be sufficient. And I think in the end, I had sort of 10 or 15 different yeah. arguments that that I think are really going to stand the test of time. And it has held up well. It's been out three years now, and mm-hmm. it's held up really well. And Has it been and censored? Said, <laughs> not thus far. And, and it's interesting. 
I I imagine there's been pushback behind the scenes that I haven't seen. Yeah, because Australia is almost even worse than the United States. Right. To their credit, the University of Sydney is very good about academic freedom. The faculty has a tremendous amount of power, the the faculty senate, and they're really the best of the academic approach, the sort of old school British approach to knowledge and education where where supervisors are trusted and so long as everyone's gone through the process in the right way, then then you know it's it's less subject to attack. So um so it's it's been an extraordinary journey and I'm grateful for everything that's come of it. It's just a heartbreaking situation that we all face given what's happening in the world with with the autism epidemic and the rise in chronic illness in, in children in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when, with the five classes of the toxins that you um, described, are they all in basically vaccines or is it a, or you talked about other things besides the vaccines? And I'm going to go read your, your summary for sure. Yeah. So it's interesting. I assumed, because no one in the New York Times talks about it, no one at the CDC talks about it, mm-hmm. that there were no good studies on possible causes of autism other than these four flimsy excuses that the CDC comes up with on, on their website. And that's not the case at all. There's this whole body of literature on possible causes of autism, and it's really robust. Mm-hmm. And And that's a fascinating story in and of itself. So the first is mercury, generally from coal-fired power plants, but also from diesel trucks. So there's a very good study that shows if you live within 100 feet of a freeway, that your risk of autism goes up. And they can actually figure out, based on how close you live to the freeway, what your risk is. But what's interesting about that is the automobile industry doesn't want that research being done. and, And the coal industry doesn't want that research being done. So there's these two really good studies, and then nothing after that. Okay. Because yeah. the automobile mm-hmm. industry and the coal industry stepped in and said no more research about that, right? Okay. Um, the next is various ingredients in plastics and fire retardants. So um, we see problems in connection with with vinyl, you know, vinyl flooring, the, the fire retardants that are added to furniture, that are added to um, to to various household products. Also BPA that we see in plastics. So there's various things that make plastic harder or make plastic softer. And 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 there's very good studies showing an association between, between these chemicals in plastics and fire retardants and autism. Mm-hmm. Then then of course there's worries about pesticides and herbicides. Mm-hmm. A very good study on Roundup, but then there's also concerns about uh, about four different classes of pesticides. And with that, again, there's a very good study out of UC Davis that looked at this, and they can figure out, based on how close you live to a field that was sprayed with a particular pesticide during a particular trimester, how your risk goes up or down. Wow. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal research. I don't know why more people aren't, aren't talking about it, but we do know why. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, right. we, we know exactly why. <laughs> exactly. It's that the pesticide... Are, and herbicide industry doesn't want that information getting out. 
Martha Herbert at Harvard has done some extraordinary work on the dangers of EMF, uh, cell phones and cell phone towers. She shows that the effects chemically in the brain from EMF are very similar to the effects of pesticides and herbicides actually interferes with calcium channel signaling in the brain Mm -hmm. and in ways that are problematic. So there's a couple very good studies about the dangers of EMF. And then when it comes to pharmaceuticals there, we have, we know that Tylenol increases autism risk. There's eight. That's the first thing the pediatrician tells you to do. Once you get a shot, give your child a Tylenol. It's madness. It's, yeah. it's, it's malpractice. It's, yeah. it, and, and the studies on this are very good. There's no question that, that Tylenol should be banned for pregnant women and infants. We have an emerging body of literature that shows that SSRIs, uh, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors taken not only during pregnancy, but in the 30 day, in the 30 days before pregnancy oh, wow. also increase autism risk. And and so we know that about 1% of autism cases, just under 1% of autism cases can be attributed to SSRIs taken during pregnancy. And then there are enormous concerns about vaccines. And as you know, and we have five really good studies, two by Gallagher and Goodman, one by Thomas and Margulis, and then two very good studies by (coughs) Anthony Mawson at Jackson State University that show an association between vaccines and autism. And the reason there aren't more studies than that is because quite frankly, the people, if you produce a study like that, you lose your career. And yeah. so any epidemiologist or doctor who wants to save their career doesn't want to go down that road. Now, what's interesting about that is the Thomas and Margulis study, Paul Thomas is a doctor, a pediatrician in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. He's one of the best doctors in the world at preventing autism. Mm -hmm. In his practice, he can bring down the rate of autism across an entire practice. And his practice is huge, 15,000 patients. The the rate of autism in his practice is is 90% lower than in a standard pediatric practice. So what that tells us is that 90% of the problem likely comes from vaccines and all the other toxicants that I listed account for just a small percentage, maybe 5%. And then I think there's some genetic factors in there, maybe another 5%. These are all just guesstimates. But, mm-hmm. but Paul Thomas's work, the reason that, that the pharmaceutical industry has gone after him so aggressively is because he's shown in, in real life, in a real practice, in, in fact, in the most successful pediatric practice in, in all of Oregon, that you can bring the autism rate down by 90% by going with this radically reduced schedule that he uses mm-hmm. that has only a fraction of the number of shots that are on the on the CDC schedule. So and he, he's the so, he, he had his license pulled for a little while, didn't he? He did. They came out with a they came out with a brilliant study, him and James Lyons Weiler, where they went through the medical records in his in his practice to to prove the association once again and and they proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt and the next thing you know the Oregon Medical Board pulled his license for being too successful at reducing <laughs> autism as practice quite uh-huh. frankly that's what uh-huh. happened we don't want now, to know how to do it <laughs> yeah. so and and he's since brought in a very good legal team and he's gotten his license restored and there's ongoing litigation obviously 
there was no due process yeah. and the, the medical board operated as a kangaroo court. So, um, so yeah, that's still ongoing, but, but he is still practicing medicine in Portland, Oregon, as we speak. Mm-hmm. So that brings the subject of medical freedom and the midterm elections, right? We know that California and Oregon, I mean, the state that we live in, we have a lot of transplants that come from those states because the medical freedom has been so restricted in California and Oregon and other states like New York. Um, so can you give us a little bit of a summary? I know you just wrote an article on your Substack, Thinking Points, November 12, 2022, talking about midterm elections and how medical freedom is actually, it was a hot topic in, in Florida, for example, DeSantis won by a large margin and he's doing great things for the medical movement there, uh, the freedom movement there. So what are your, can you give us a little summary of what you wrote and your thoughts on the politics and medical freedom? Definitely. So I'll break some news on this show that nobody else has spoken about yet. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to hear it here first. (laughs) You're going to hear it here first. And I think it's an important story to put things in context so people understand what's happening. So when I graduated in 2019, in the spring, I had various thoughts about what was going to happen next, but I returned to the United States and the pharmaceutical industry was running these bad bills, as we call them, across all 50 states, these vaccine mandate bills. One was moving in Colorado, one was moving in Oregon, one was moving in California. So I jumped in and started battling in the trenches to try to defeat these these medical mandate bills, these vaccine mandate bills. And we won narrowly in Colorado in 2019. We won pretty handily in Oregon, even though it was the Democrats controlled the legislature. And then weird, and we we were on the verge of winning in California too. We had won the narrative battle, we'd won the scientific battle, and then and then things got really weird in California. And there was this weird scuffle that happened on a sidewalk in Sacramento with the bill sponsor, Richard Pan, and then some sort of crazy, mentally ill homeless person. And that got blamed on us. And it wasn't clear if if that was legit or if it was just, I mean, obviously the guy was crazy, but you know, if he was some sort of paid actor on behalf of the pharmaceutical industry or what have you, things just got bizarre in California. Uh, the bill sponsor went on the floor of the California Senate and called mothers of vaccine injured children terrorists and got a standing ovation from his Democratic colleagues. It was outrageous. It was the most vile thing I've ever seen in politics. So we lost in we lost in California and we lost shortly thereafter in New York as well, a similar vaccine mandate bill. And it was Pharma just decided to stop losing and they just started writing really large checks and then doing these weird, these weird political theater things that to this day, nobody's been able to explain. Hmm. So I bring all that up by way of saying what, what happened as a result of these vaccine mandate bills is that people had to flee the state. People had to get out of Dodge. If you wanted your kids to go to school, mm-hmm and you didn't want them to be vaccinated, you couldn't be in California or New York. 
the two largest states in the country operated under medical fascism. And so there's this exodus of medical refugees as families packed up and left California and New York because of these vaccine mandate bills. Well, the census happened in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. And both California and New York lost population. So California lost a congressional seat and New York lost a congressional seat because their population went down. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, let me let me look at this. Let me I looked this up before we spoke. Texas gained two congressional seats and Florida gained one congressional seat okay. as a result of medical refugees fleeing to these states, right? Yeah. In the midterm elections that just happened, Republicans took the House of Representatives by three votes, by right. three seats. <laughs> Where did those three seats come from? Those three seats come from the fact that medical refugees had to flee California and New York, and they went to Texas and Florida, and that's why the population increased. And those are red states. Those are Republican states that do a better job of protecting medical freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. That's the reason why Republicans now control the House. And, and the other thing that I would, I would mention along these lines is people didn't like Governor Cuomo and his vaccine mandates and then his, his replacement who followed. And so there was this, there was this Republican challenger Lee Zeldin, Zeldin yeah. very well in the election, enough that Republicans did better in New York than they usually do. And Republicans did very well in, in Florida as well, that offset losses elsewhere in the country. And so that's the story of the elections. Underneath it all, medical freedom issues shaped who's going to control the house and one of the things that we hope to come out of this is that we hope that there'll be investigations we hope that we might come to better understand the origins of the pandemic and fauci's funding for gain-of-function research both in the u.s and in wuhan china that there'll be investigation of CDC and FDA for their failures to properly vet these junk science mRNA shots that, I mean, look, I watch every CDC and FDA meeting uh, of, the, of the FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee and the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. And this is the, 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 the science, the quote unquote science that they use at these meetings. It's the shoddiest science I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. and, and they started out with a 40,000 person trial for adults. And well, actually there are more fatalities in the vaccine group than in the control group, but they, they proved it anyways. Mm -hmm. And then each trial after that got smaller and smaller and smaller. So by the time it got down to the kids, the clinical trials were just a few hundred kids and then they stopped looking at health outcomes altogether because the health outcomes were abysmal mm -hmm. and so they, they stopped looking at that and they just started to look at antibodies in the blood and they claimed that if the antibodies went up that somebody's perhaps protected against coronavirus although at all these meetings they acknowledged that antibodies are not a sufficient correlative protection mm -hmm. you can't use this as a proxy to estimate immune response. Mm -hmm. And and then by the time the bivalent shots got approved in June, 
or got authorized, I should say, mm-hmm. they didn't even test them in humans at all. They tested them in eight mice. And they didn't look at the health of the mice. They looked at antibody response yeah. in eight mice in the case of Pfizer. It's just... It's a joke. It's just... Yeah. It's a It's... These people are just murderous clowns. Mm-hmm. So there should be investigation of that. And, and there should be investigation of the money trail as well. Are, are you, uh, you know, like... President Trump announced he has, that he's running, you know, in 2024. And, and one of the big things that we were super disappointed in him was, you know, that even after he, 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 warp, uh, speed. warp speed, well, yeah, there was that. But I mean, the fact that he's still uh, touting the that as a, as a success of his and, you know, now they're pushing this on kids. You know, I was making the point in our Telegram group today. I'm like, I mean, I, I would look at him differently if he would come forward and say, Look, parents, you do not need to give this to your kids. They've added this to the schedule that goes into effect, but but there is in no way that that they need this and that they should get it. You know, please. But he's not saying a peep. And I mean, I was just I was telling somebody on the group. I was like, to me, he's he's killing children. You know, and 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 I wondered if you're if you think that he will need to change his stance on this to win because i know that that even as bad as it seems that that you know the the economy and things are i mean it, it seems like there was a rather you know milk toast reception to his announcement of running and and i wonder if he'll he'll need those people that are a little bit pissed off about his stance on the the vaccine in order to 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 get over the finish line yeah great question so to put things in context for folks who don't know, in 2016, Trump, the candidate, had a meeting with many of the leaders of our movement. It was a private meeting. It was 45 minutes. And he sat down and had a conversation about vaccine injury with these parents. And I know many of the people who were in the meeting, in the room at that meeting, and they said he was genuine. He listened. They gave him books and DVDs for him to research further. It was it was cordial. And as a result of that meeting, the parents walked out of that meeting and broadcast all their channels on social media and through the various mailing lists that this was our guy, that this, that this guy had listened to them respectfully in ways that Hillary Clinton never did. She treated the vaccine injured as with contempt throughout the campaign, and she continues to do that. Her, her, her daughter does that as well. And so, so the margin of victory for Trump in 2016 was less than 1%. And there are so many parents of vaccine injured children in this country that I know that we made the difference in the 2016 election. We delivered the election to Trump in 2016. Mm -hmm. And there was talk that there was going to be this vaccine safety commission Mm -hmm. and that Robert Kennedy Jr. was going to chair it. And we were finally going to get to the bottom of what was happening with vaccines and autism and other chronic diseases. And then it all fell apart. Trump lost his his confidence. He, He lost his nerve. He got talked out of it, depending on who you talk to, by Jared Kushner or Bill Bill Gates or knows right Mm -hmm. so so what ends up happening in 2020 i think is that i think parents stayed home i think parents felt betrayed by donald trump and i think 
they either didn't vote or they voted for the other guy mm -hmm. just to punish Trump. And I, I actually think single issue medical freedom voters made the difference in the 2020 election as well. And I think we're going to make the difference in 2024 and we will decide who is president. So mm -hmm. to that, to, to your, to your question though, Trump and DeSantis got dealt the same hand in 2020 as far as the COVID pandemic. Right. They were both in the executive branch. Trump is president DeSantis as governor of a, of a state of 22 million people. And it's interesting to look at the difference in how they responded, right? So DeSantis rose to the challenge and, and look, there are a lot of senior citizens in Florida. So he had a particularly vulnerable population, mm -hmm. right? DeSantis read the scientific literature for himself on both COVID and COVID vaccines when they became available. He surrounded himself with top flight advisors, including Joseph Ladapo, who, who became a Surgeon General. And he resisted the group mentality, the herd thing to lock down and all the rest, shut down the economy, for heaven knows what reason, right? Right. And he's been vindicated. He's been vindicated on 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 every level. Um, the outcomes, the health outcomes in Florida, when you adjust for age, when you adjust for the fact that there's more senior citizens in Florida, are better than in other states. The economy's done better. Kids are still in school and they're learning. Ron DeSantis is exactly what you want from from an executive branch leader during a crisis. And the guy's former military. He understands how to handle a crisis. Meanwhile, what do we get from Trump, right? We got these daily press conferences that were a muddle. He surrounded himself with these murderous clowns. And, and he did have a handful of people who were advising him on the side who were giving him information about alternative treatments and all that, but he didn't know how to turn that into policy. He kind of would use that to poke at Fauci and Burks and Redfield and those other clowns, but he didn't know how to turn it into policy. He didn't know how to lead on this issue. And then Operation Warp Speed happens and we get these mRNA shots that are worse than nothing. And he failed to fire people like Rick Bright who blocked access to hydroxychloroquine. He didn't know how to lead to get ivermectin into, uh, available to people in ways that would have saved thousands of lives. And then, and then the tragedy is his own ex-wife, Ivana, mother of three of his kids, dies under these mysterious circumstances. She falls and she's not that old and she hits her head and that sounds a whole lot like a vaccine injury to me. So it is well within the realm of possibility that Operation Warp Speed killed Trump's ex-wife. So look, where I'm at at this point is we have a fantastic candidate available to us in the form of Ron DeSantis, right. who has done everything that we wanted him to do as far as standing up for rigorous science and pushing back against the vaccine nonsense. I mean, they're not giving shots to kids under five in, in, in Florida. The Surgeon General stepped forward and said, no, the science doesn't support that. And he's right about that, by the way. Mm -hmm. So why on earth would, would we embrace the guy who doesn't know how to lead on our issue when we have 
available to us, Ron DeSantis, who does know how to lead on this issue. That you know, I'm, I'm just speaking for myself here, but for the medical freedom movement, I know people like Trump, but but why? Ron DeSantis is a Ferrari. Like, there's no reason for us to ride a tricycle anymore. Let's jump in the Ferrari and go. Yeah, let's do it. I, well, and and, and uh, I hope that he's bold enough to take. Trump on in the primary, you know what I mean? And, and, and have a go at it and see if he can, if he can run the table. Yeah. So speaking of that, um, the operation, uh, war speed a year ago, you wrote, uh, an article on your, that's available on your Substack, and you mentioned, um, the word iatrogenocide as it relates to, um, vaccines, specifically the current COVID shot. And you said in the article, the article was called, what is the number needed to vaccinate NNTV to prevent a single COVID-19 fatality in kids 5 to 11? And through all the sources, the primary sources you look through, you got to, um, for every one child saved by the shot, another 117 would be killed by the shot. And so I encourage everybody to read the article. It was amazing. And can we explore that estimate a little bit um, compared to what we're seeing today with the VAERS just announced uh, between the period of uh, December 2020 and November of this year, we have had 1,458,322 reports of adverse events. Um for all ages, including 31, almost 32,000 deaths and 265,000 serious injuries between these periods. And we all know VAERS is underreported. Harvard did a study on VAERS. Uh, so the analysis on your article from your primary sources was actually your estimations were a lot higher than a lot of people that were talking about this issue. So can you talk about where were you then and what are you thinking now? I mean, is the do you have any updated risk analysis on that? Yeah, great question. So it's a wild story. I, in 2020, started putting the word out on Twitter about the dangers of vaccines. 2019 as well, when I was battling against these bad bills in various states. And my my Twitter following grew to 35,000 people. And I was doing 100,000 to 500,000 views a day on Twitter. I was doing, um, I did, I was on, on track to do somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think I was on track to do 50 million views in, in 2020. And so, of course, the pharmaceutical industry pulled the plug and or maybe it's the White House. I don't know that they put in the order to to delete my account. And interestingly, the, the tweet that pushed them over the edge was a tweet where I pointed out that Tony Fauci had blocked access to the antibiotic Bactrim during the AIDS epidemic. It was a it was a antibiotic it was a sort of a it was there's two antibiotics in one. And it actually cured the sort of pneumonia that was killing people from AIDS. And Tony Fauci blocked access to it in order to create the market for AZT. This became the playbook that he used throughout his career. And I received a lifetime ban for that tweet. And, and Tony Fauci's daughter works for Twitter. 
So I was banned on or Twitter. She, or, or, did, does she still work for Twitter? <laughs> she does. Oh, does she, she does. still? Wow. She's, she's still there. She survived the initial the initial cut. <laughs> so, so I moved over to Instagram, built my following there up to thirty thousand pretty quickly in the space of a few weeks, and then they started shadow banning me and restricting my account. So I moved over to Facebook and 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 started growing my audience there. So in October, Children's Health Defense put out a email blast by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in connection with the FDA's upcoming meeting to decide whether to authorize COVID shots, these mRNA shots, for kids 5 to 11. And in, and in Robert Kennedy's email, it said for every one kid saved by the shot from COVID, we were going to lose another 114 kids to vaccine injury. They were, they were going to be killed by the shot. And, and honestly, I knew some of the earlier literature that showed that, that VAERS undercounts by a factor of anywhere from 10 to 100. So when he was coming in at 114, it felt a little bit high to me. I actually thought, I actually thought he was wrong. So I went to Facebook and I said, hey, does anybody have the reference for this? You know how I like reading the underlying sources, right? Robert Kennedy said this in an email that we're going to kill 114 kids from the shot for every one kid who's saved. What's the source, right? And within an hour, Facebook had banned me for 30 days for even asking a question. So at the time, I had a Substack account. I had two articles on it. My audience was about 200 people. And that was the only place I had left. (laughs) Online. I was banned everywhere else. Uh So I said, okay, I'm going to write about this on Substack. And... And if I can't find the reference, I'm going to do the calculations myself. So I downloaded the the briefing documents from the FDA and CDC. I, I downloaded the documents from Pfizer and, and, and weighed their various claims. And I just walked through the math. I just walked through their claims about effectiveness, the risk from the virus itself, which was infinitesimally small in this age group. And then what we could see on VAERS as far as the harms that we were seeing in the older age groups, in in kids 12 and above thus far. And and I rely heavily on Open VAERS, which is a a wonderful website created by some warrior moms that takes the vaccine adverse event reporting system data, makes it really easily searchable. And so, as you saw in my Substack article, the calculation I came up with is for every one kid saved from coronavirus, saved from dying of coronavirus, we were going to lose 117 kids to fatalities from the shot. And a couple of things happened. That article went around the world. I had members of parliament in Australia sharing it with all of their colleagues. I had 
it generated 250,000 views in a very short space of time. And then pharma sent their, their flying monkeys after me. Pharma sent their goods after me. I got hit in USA Today. I got hit by Reuters. They came after me with everything they had. Now, here's what's interesting. They came after me and they never, so I was getting hit in the, in the mainstream media. They never used the words number needed to vaccinate it number needed to vaccinate the fda and cdc require that any risk benefit analysis come up with this calculation i had read their own documents i knew exactly what their regulations were they hadn't done this in their own briefing documents even though they're required by the guidelines that that govern these agencies I calculated it myself. And when the when the flying monkeys from the pharmaceutical industry started coming after me, they refused to use this term because they know that if you actually calculate it, that the risks outweigh the benefits. Now, here's the thing. My estimation has held up very well over the course of the past year. And it's held up well in part because the risk to these children is so small, right? Right. It's it's point zero 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 whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Three eight or something. So the risk of this virus in this children is so small that very few, if any, are going to die from coronavirus. And over the course of the year, nearly a hundred percent of children in this age group had natural exposure, so they had natural immunity, which is superior to vaccine immunity. So we know that the risks were essentially zero. So in calculating this number, all you have to do is calculate the risk of possible harms. And we could come up with that number from open bears, from looking at the injuries in other age groups and extrapolating them down to the younger age groups. So these shots are all harms and no benefits. So we now know that there have been 167 reports of death to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System since these shots were introduced in December of 2020. We also know from various calculations, Steve Kerr's, Jessica Rose, and OpenVares themselves, Mm -hmm. that this is an underestimate. And the underestimate is somewhere between sort of 26 to 50 times is an underestimate. So you take the 167, the 167 reports of fatalities in kids as a result of these shots, and then you multiply that by by 26 or by as many as, as 51 to, to figure out the actual number of kids who've been killed. And there's no benefits. None of these kids have been protected from coronavirus because they already had natural immunity and the risk of this virus in this age group was, was small. So if anything, my 117 number that seemed like a large number at the time, if anything, that was an underestimate. If anything, the actual harms from these shots, because they're all harms and no benefits, it, it's higher than 117 fatalities from the shot for everyone who might be protected from coronavirus. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. That it's crazy. Crazy. So then let's, I know that's so sad. So let's move on to, you, in one of your articles, you talked about vaccine injury and how it's shaping society. So can you expand on, you talked Anything from, you know, fights between 
you know, people for no reason, car accidents, uh, small plane crashes, <laughs> uh, mass shootings. I mean, what are these shots doing to our society? Yeah, a lot of what I write about on my Substack is exactly what you just said. So I'm trying to narrate the ways in which this mass poisoning event is playing out in society. So, and as you noted, I use the word iatrogenicide. So iatrogenesis is injury, disease, or death caused by the intervention of a medical professional. Mm -hmm. So if, if, if someone dies at the hospital as a result of getting the wrong drug or the wrong treatment or whatever, that's iatrogenesis. Well, these mass vaccination campaigns resemble genocide. It resembles genocide caused by medical professionals, which is what happened the last time too, right? Mm -hmm. Candidly in Germany when the medical profession went Nazi in the 1930s and 40s. So the word I use is iatrogenocide. So genocide caused by medical professionals. And it, it started 35 years ago with the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act that gave liability protection to pharmaceutical companies for vaccines. And any vaccine on the childhood schedule has liability protection. So pharmaceutical companies rushed to add as many shots as possible to the childhood schedule. The childhood schedule tripled in the next two decades. And the result is now kids are sicker than ever. And so, so this happens in a number of layers. This, this, there, there's this word called agnotology. It, it, it's, um, it's sort of fancy academic speak for the social construction of ignorance. And what the best like scholars that. in this field have shown is that people assume that ignorance is the lack of information. The people who study this say, no, no, that's not actually how it works. Ignorance works in the same way that knowledge works. Ignorance is constructed through various forms in society and various pressures and incentives to look at this, but don't look at this, right? So we live in a society that's engaged in this sort of great forgetting, even as kids are being poisoned, even as kids and adults are, are dying from these shots. So, so over the last 35 years, as you know better than anybody, they've covered up all the harms that we see from vaccines. So it's all, it's the, it, I think there's six A's, autism, ADHD, ADHD allergies, autoimmune disorders, allergies um, asthma, mm -hmm. and um, did I say autoimmune disorders? I think you, you did. did, yeah. <laughs> Right. I'm trying so, to remember. I read the book, The Four A's at the time, you know, when I started on this journey. That was one of the A's first PC. books that Autism I read. ADHD, allergies, asthma, autoimmune disorders, and Alzheimer's. Oh, there you go. Alzheimer's, yeah, yeah. And then there's, there's childhood cancers, there's dementia, there's diabetes, there's epilepsy, there's infertility. Mm -hmm. And all of those have exploded over the last 35 years since the 1986 act was passed and the media government 
politicians, doctors, scientists have all engaged in this forgetting, right? Well, we have no idea how this happened. There's no such thing as cause and effect. Let's just proceed as if nothing's happening. So there's so that's the first wave of the Iatrogen genocide. And now we have these mRNA shots. And the mRNA shots work in a different way, but they're incredibly toxic. They're incredibly dangerous. So we have these, so we see all the time all around us, these died suddenly cases of newscasters, um, politicians collapsing during the middle of a broadcast, athletes collapsing on the field. So now we're seeing a cover-up of blood clots, heart attacks, miscarriage, strokes, what they're calling sudden adult death syndrome, which they just sort of made up whole cloth to cover up mm -hmm. the fatalities from these mRNA shots. Mm -hmm. so, so there's all these health harms that are being covered up that just leads to a rather terrifying society. But then all these other things get normalized. So here, here's, here's the point that I want people to take away. We can focus on the 3% with really severe injuries from these shots or, or the 16% of kids who have developmental disabilities or the 54% of kids who have some sort of chronic illness. Mm -hmm. But that's not actually, that, that's, again, that's, that's only half the story. I think what we're dealing with is 100% vaccine injury rates because you're see, you basically have 97, 98% vaccination rates in society with at least one shot of something mm -hmm. and, and, and Robert Kennedy's the one who makes this case and I think he's correct so with any with any poison with any toxicant there's a distribution curve in a society some people are really heavily affected some people are not noticeably affected and then there's various harms in between and I think that's what we're dealing with but what I do is I sort of look back over history and try to compare how our era is different from previous eras. And I look at families falling apart and couples that aren't able to resolve seemingly small differences. And I wonder whether it might be because mercury that's still in the flu shots and, 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 and six or seven other shots, plus aluminum, Mm -hmm. is ending up in people's brains. It's interfering with the dendrites that are these sort of tree-like structures that that are um, that that come off of neurons that that are attached to neurons that are necessary to process empathy and and sympathy and these sorts of emotions that we need to resolve problems. Well, if your dendrites are dead, it's going to be really difficult to 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 resolve even a, a simple, disagreement right mm -hmm. so we see men and women fighting over the dumbest stuff and 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 relationships coming apart and we see road rage right where mm -hmm. drivers aren't able to resolve differences and you see holistic see... practitioners just completely flipping on even their views right. about vaccination <laughs> yeah right yeah I, I, that explains a lot we're seeing a loss of logic and reason and 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 we would love to be able to appeal to science with some of these people who are making the wrong decisions, but they seem unable to process mm -hmm. the scientific information. We right. see teachers quitting because students are unruly. We see attention spans shortening where, where it's difficult to read a whole book or sit through a whole movie or sit through a whole church service. The military is having trouble recruiting, so there's impacts on military readiness. 
there's supply chain issues around the world as is there not enough workers well i'm wondering if it's perhaps because they're at home because they're vaccine injured right. i think a lot of what we call long covid is vaccine injury yeah. mm-hmm. We see addiction, we see mental illness, chronic pain, a rise in suicide, and then we see things like school shootings, mall shootings, shootings in workplaces where people somehow can't process the emotions that they're dealing with. We see doctors and scientists who are not engaging in good faith as far as trying to understand what's happening with with the surge in, in, in these various illnesses and, and with the dissolution of our society. And we see politicians who aren't able to engage in logic re- and reason in ways that might resolve this problem. Mm-hmm. So look, I get that I get that all these issues were there already, pre-1986, right? right? Mm-hmm. But every time we add more poisons to the mix, more poisons to the mix, more poisons to the mix, I think that we're seeing cognitive effects. And we're seeing cognitive effects that hurt the economy, that hurt our military readiness, that hurt our society politically. And and quite frankly, I'm very concerned for the future of the United States because you can't just, and, and the whole developed world, you can't just poison the whole population year after year and expect that it's somehow going to turn out okay. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, in, it's insanity. So we, that's, in the medical freedom movement, we need to take power so that we can stop this from happening and so that we can stop the genocide that's happening as a result of bad medical decisions. And, and the other piece of this, I just wanted to get your take on, I, I saw today that the, you know, the G20 was meeting and, and they had, uh, uh, let me just read what it says in the, um, it was, it was about vaccine mandates. Um, yeah, passports, digital passports for yes. all of us. Yeah, I lost it. But but uh, basically all of the, the, the group members agreed that they needed to get to a standardized platform for vaccination uh, for travel, uh, international travel. And I'm like, well, I mean, do you have any take? I mean, do you, do you think the G20 that holds any weight or or because, um, I mean, they're pushing forward on this, but it seems like everyone's interest in this vaccine is is dwindling, per, is dwindling. It's near dead. Um, but they're really pushing forward on this infrastructure to go in to, you know, codify this stuff across the board. Yeah, it's very troubling. So. As you point out, the demand for these shots is in the single digits. Mm-hmm. 90% of people don't want these clot shots that they're seeing kill their friends, family, neighbors, coworkers. But these shots are still incredibly popular with the knuckleheads at the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, and the leaders of the G20 who candidly appear to be reporting to the World Economic Forum at this point. Here's my concern. My worry is that we have built an entire economy around poisoning people. Mm-hmm. That's what we're good at. That's what the U.S. does. Mm-hmm. We're the world's leading exporter of these poisons and these vials. And the U.S. economy generates $23 trillion a year of activity, but a huge percentage of that economic activity is dedicated to poisoning kids mm-hmm. and adults. And, and and Bobby Kennedy does the best job of this 
he says, look, vaccines are a $50 billion a year industry. This is pre-COVID, $50 billion a year industry. It caused so much harm that they generate another $500 billion a year in economic activity from treatments for vaccine injury, mm-hmm. from EpiPens, from medicines to deal with mm-hmm. autism, from medicines to deal with epilepsy, diabetes, childhood cancers, the rest. Mm-hmm. That's the business model. That's, mm-hmm. that's what the US economy is based on, is the pharmaceutical industry poisoning people. Now, all those numbers have easily doubled now that the COVID shots are here. Another $50 billion a year in COVID shots, and easily a trillion dollars a year in harms from these shots. So this is this is the largest robbery in human history. The pharmaceutical industry is robbing trillions of dollars out of the pockets of parents and out of the pockets of governments and putting them into their own pockets. And that's what the World Economic Forum is doing at this point. The World Economic Forum is putting forward a vision of the world that's based on 24-7 surveillance, mandates, requirements, passports, digital currency to, to, to enrich these industries that are already have more money than they could possibly spend in their lifetime, the pharmaceutical industry and the rest. Mm-hmm. So these are structural problems that we've built an entire economy around, around death, around poison, around leaving people worse off than they were before. It's not that different than forcing people to work in the mines that were toxic and then working them to death as they brought out the gold and silver in, mm-hmm. in colonization previously. But this is, the, this is the fourth industrial revolution. It's horrifying, it's Orwellian, it's, it's worse than Brave New World. And that's what we have to overthrow. And so we have to mobilize our movement, mobilize our friends to push back against this. We have to train up our politicians as quickly as possible to push back against this. Mm-hmm. About 10% of Republicans are with us at the federal level at this point. At the state level, we're doing a lot better. At the state level- in Even in California? Not not in the blue states. Not okay, in, not in the blue states, okay. But, but Idaho, Tennessee, Kansas, Iowa, some of these-, these Missouri. Yeah, okay. We've got a good governor I, in Missouri. I'm, I'm, I've worked with lots of these groups on the ground. And at the state level, there are lots of these sort of small R Republicans, these libertarian Republicans who understand what this issue is. They can speak to this issue as well as we can. And and they're fighting back. But we have to train up these politicians and we have to fight back with everything we can because this is fascism. That's not just, I'm not just calling people names. This is the definition of fascism. The state and corporations have, have, are working together in ways that hurt our interests. And and that's what we're up against, is an entire society dedicated to enriching a handful of elites while, while poisoning and killing the rest of us. That's what we're up against. Yeah. Yeah. Well, appreciate your, your um, take on the situation. Now, I just have one burning question, one last one, I promise. Do you think it is all about money or there is something else at play here? I'd be interested in in your thoughts on this as well. Um, I think it goes beyond money. We we can trace the money at the state level in connection with these various bad bills. We've even said to politicians, 
dollar for dollar, if you come over to our side, dollar for dollar, we are going to put money into your campaign account to make up for every dollar you lose as a result of doing the right thing. Wow. That's not enough to bring them over. So the it's more than that. And and a lot of what I spend my time trying to figure out on Substack and just in my day-to-day life is trying to figure out how this works. Mm-hmm. There's there's a piece about power, there's a piece of of control. There's a piece about it's, them being psychopaths. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? It's 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 people like Gates who seem to get pleasure from harming other people. Mm-hmm. It's I think there's a sadism here that's. I mean, that's are they just bored? <laughs> well, I, I, right. I, yeah, I just yeah. think that 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 some people are are born missing that humanity, you know, or or the, or they maybe they were vaxxed injured. <laughs> well, or or they're just raised that way. You know, we know that Gates family they have a, a storied past, you know, as well. So I mean, there are people that that can look shiny on the outside, but they've got some pretty dark stuff on the inside. And if they have enough resources at their disposal, then they can really impact our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And it's interesting. We've set up a world with centralized experts in D.C., centralized experts at the World Health Organization. And these billionaires can come along, these sadistic billionaires, and they can buy off a committee of 15 people, whether that's whether it's just financial or whether it goes beyond that, mm-hmm. pretty easily. These guys are sitting ducks. These committees, they're supposed to make these decisions. Whatever emerges after this, and and I should say, I'm actually extremely hopeful in spite amazing, of all Amazing, amazing. My... Okay. Tell me about your hopefulness. <laughs> well, there's only one way that this can turn out, right? The, the, the bad guys have to lose this fight because it's unsustainable. You can't just kill off and poison people indefinitely. Indefinitely, yeah. And just have that be the way the world runs. People right. are already rising up. More people are going to rise up. This is not sustainable. These folks are holding a losing hand. We can see their cars. These shots don't work. They cause tremendous harms. We know e- exactly how bad they are. Mm-hmm. It's not hidden anymore. It's right out there in the open. We just don't have the numbers quite yet, but we're getting we're getting pretty close. Mm-hmm. We could have a president in 2024 who's, who's with us. Mm-hmm. And it's just not sustainable. But, but whatever emerges next has to be decentralized. We can no longer have 15 people in Washington, D.C. making decisions affecting every single child or every single adult, for that matter, in this, in this country. Everything has to be decentralized. I don't want there to be a World Health Organization. I think we should disband the World Economic Forum. But also the CDC and the FDA have completely failed. We need to come up with decentralized, open source, data available for everybody, science and medicine, mm-hmm so that people can make their own adult decisions about whatever medicines they're going to take or not going to take. But the no, but centralized medicine, centralized command and control is dead. It has failed. Mm-hmm. This has been uh, a political experiment. Centralization has failed. Whatever we do going forward has to be decentralized. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we mobilize politically. Do you have any other ideas of what folks like you know, me and Leo can do to decentralize. We're doing it right here. (laughs) You're doing so much. And I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. And and you're doing exactly the right things from from what I can tell. So I feel like we need to do two things, two big things. Mm -hmm. We need to 
unplug from the pharma death cult society that's causing all these problems. Mm -hmm. So we need to get out of blue states. We need to fire pediatricians. Mm -hmm. We also need to check, check, right? <laughs> we need to cancel cable TV. Check. We need to disengage from the people who are lying to us who've been wrong for the last three years. We also need to rebuild bodies, right? Rebuild gut bacteria in healthy ways, detox metals out of the body. We, we need to essentially develop our own medical system in ways that actually lead to real improvements in people's health. And, mm -hmm. and you're doing a lot of that as well around around diet and mm -hmm. good food choices. Weston A. Price Foundation is doing mm -hmm. really good work. In, yeah, in that love them. Chelsea Eden Publishing, yeah, it does really we good work. We just had, we had Tom Cowan a couple um, oh, wow. seasons ago on the, on the podcast, yeah. He's so great. He's, He's so, so great. great. I saw him. I saw him at the Western A. Price Foundation conference in Knoxville a couple of weeks ago. Oh, amazing! Cool. And we need to we need to build our own parallel economy. Build our own schools. Build our own universities. Build our own medical schools. Build our own businesses. Mainstream society has failed. Yeah. Crisis happened. They had no idea how to respond to the crisis. They made everything worse. There's no sense in engaging with that anymore. We have to build the better world our hearts know is possible to, to borrow the phrase from Charles Eisenstein. So, so that's this whole piece. We need to build the better world that we want to live in. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's going to be elected officials. There's going to be, there's going to be politicians. There's going to be government structures. And, and look, the pharmaceutical industry is going to use existing structures to come after us. They dislike the fact that unvaccinated children are healthier than vaccinated children. And so everything they do is about trying to create mandates to get rid of the control group, right? So we have to get good at winning elections. And, and what's happening in the movement is this. The movement's grown really fast. All the big groups, CHD, Stand for Health Freedom, mm -hmm. ICANN, Dell Big Tree, The High Wire, um, NVIC, they've all quadrupled in size over the course of the last year. Amazing. We used to be tiny. We used to beg for scraps from the table. We don't have to beg for scraps from the table anymore. We are going to decide the 2024 election. Single issue medical freedom voters are the swing voters who decide every presidential election going forward. But the thing is, our leadership needs to sit down with some of these politicians and explain it to them and say, look, we're going to deliver the vote for you in 2024, but here's what we need in return. And we're going to hold you to it. Mm -hmm. We need a seat at the table. We need to have a say over who's going to lead HHS, CDC, and FDA, and we need all these agencies to be restructured mm -hmm. from the ground up. We need to list our demands up front and then mobilize instead of just showing up on election day and hoping they pay us back on, on the right. Right. We need to be transactional mm -hmm. in everything we do. We need to say we can mobilize tens of millions of voters for whom this is their number one issue but here's what you got to give us in return. And if you fail to give us this in return, mm -hmm. you're not going to be reelected. We are going to punish you in the next election if you fail to deliver on the stuff that, that we need. But the thing is, we're not an interest group. We instead are the only people who know how to solve the biggest problem facing the United States today. We are the people who have done the hard yards, who've done the research, who who figured out 
how to stop people from dying and how to stop the rising chronic illness. Mm -hmm. This is not this is not some group just asking for a piece of the pie. The medical freedom movement knows how to solve the biggest problem facing the United States of America. We are we are the remedy to the biggest problem every politician is facing going forward and we should be treated with the respect that goes along with having done the hard yards and, and figured out the answer to this pressing problem facing our country. Yeah, they should want to be on this team. That's right. Exactly. Amen to that. Exactly. And I'll sell this I'll sell this plan to both parties. I don't think Democrats will pick it up. I'll sell this part <laughs> I'll sell this plan to anybody who'll listen. Yeah, that's amazing. And then and and what we saw in the last election is that the politicians who step forward, who understand medical freedom. So it's Ron DeSantis, it's Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, it's Rand Paul in Kentucky. They were all reelected. And, and, and Ron DeSantis, who's been our best friend in this fight thus far, he won by 19 points in Florida. Yeah, he the last it. elections in Florida were decided by one point or less. And he won by 19 points in Florida. Medical freedom is a winning political issue. People who stand up and fight for us are going to be rewarded by voters for the rest of our lives. Yep. Amen. All right. Yep. So I love the work you're doing. I love your passion. How can we support you so you can continue doing this great work? So I do most of my messaging through Substack. Substack has been great because there's no censorship there. It's tobyrogers.substack.com, tobyrogers.substack.com. And there's it's all free, so you can subscribe and get everything for free. But then a certain percentage of my readers sign up for paid accounts as well, for, for paid subscriptions. And I can actually make a living based on the paid subscriptions that I have. It's, it's, it's been extraordinary. So Amazing. I have this massive audience, a smaller audience of the paid subscribers, but you can find me on, on Substack. And then the, the conversations that are happening in the comments on my site are beautiful. There's two or 300 people who reply to every thing that I write and the there's a real community that's being built of of people in the comments who are learning from each other sharing tips and strategies to keep their families safe and healthy it's it's been beautiful I, I love the community we're building over on Substack and and it it just continues to grow and I'm so grateful that that Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook made the foolish decision to ban me on their site so that I was forced over to Substack and, and now I can make a living off of it. So That's awesome. Awesome. we are end. joining yeah. tonight. Yeah. So please listeners, do. please join. Thank you so much for your time with us, for your wisdom. I mean, your articles are amazing. You were, I mean, just your, your content, the way you write, the way you talk is just phenomenal. So thank you for your work. Yeah, I love the, the, the interview here today. So really yeah. appreciate you giving us the time. Well, I appreciate both of you. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. And I'm so thankful to you for having me on the show today. I'm just, it's a wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Thank you, Toby. Thank you, Toby. Bye. All right. Well, man, what a great interview. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. And uh, he just tells such great stories around it. You know, he's got all the context. He's got the receipts. The data. And the he's receipts. got the experience with, you know, the politics of it all. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that one really exceeded my expectations. Yes, that was great. Sure, that was amazing. So, um, all right, I don't even. So, really... if you well, can support Toby, yeah, if you can support Toby, go to his Substack again. That was TobyRogers.substack.com. Um, wanted to again mention our Telegram channel at the Collective Resistance. Mm-hmm. Join podcast. us there to continue the conversation and uh, smash the like on on Rumble if you're watching us there. Follow us uh, either on the podcast or Rumble. We would appreciate it. And uh, let me see here, Fabi, what do you want to tell everybody? Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening today. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay curious.